are listening to Venture Vignettes, a podcast that features trailblazers in entrepreneurship, investment, and innovation. I'm your host, Rihanna Shah, recording from Stanford, California. If you like what you hear today, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Today, we're chatting with Jay Bodu, VP of Product Innovation at Juniper Networks. In his role, he's focused on new product development in disruptive spaces like artificial intelligence. When he's not working with startups, you can find Jay teaching. He's currently a visiting scholar at the Computer Science Department of Stanford University. Thanks for being on the show today, Jay. Thank you, Rihanna. It's a delight to be a part of this show and happy to share my thoughts. Wonderful. Thank you. How do you work with startups? Is that something that you guys actually focus on? Oh, absolutely. I think that is a very important question for us. So from a background perspective, I had to go back as to the genesis of how all of this started. I was an early engineer at Juniper, and then I moved to running a product line, I had the opportunity to build our first product line and expand into an enterprise. Before that, we were selling into service providers such as AT&T and Verizon, and we wanted to sell to banks and schools and hospitals and other enterprises. Subsequent to that, I went to venture, and I was a venture partner at a venture fund which was focused on early-stage technology investments. One of the realizations that I had while being in venture was that there are markets where venture investments make a lot of sense, and the other opportunities where venture does not make as much sense. There are spaces a company wants to expand into where they may not be adequate number of venture-funded startups, largely because they're not interesting from a venture perspective. Those are the areas where we have focused as a company to incubate a net new startup or net new product idea via incubation to make it happen. But for the areas where it makes a lot of sense for venture capital firms to invest in, we acquire them or we partner with them. So it sounds like you do a lot of work with new product development, trying to figure out what might be areas of growth for the company. Could you talk a little bit about what your day-to-day looks like and what you actually do? I am uh, the vice president of New Product Incubation. What I do is I try to build new businesses and new products which drive new businesses for my company. The work typically entails formulating a thesis of where what the new business could be mm-hmm. and validating this with our customers mm-hmm. and trying to go find a team which typically consists of people within the company and more often than not people outside the companies, mm-hmm. put together teams and build products and finally validate and sell them to our customers. It's a process that goes from a conceptualization of an idea to building the early part of a business. Hmm, That's very interesting. How do you typically come up with that hypothesis or thesis in the first place? We have a business that's fairly established. We look at the adjacencies to our businesses or several times reimagining our existing products. Mm -hmm. So given the fact that our business is reasonably stable and well understood, the adjacencies we want to go after and reimaginations we want to go after are reasonably well understood. At times, but there's a fair amount of work in finessing it the right way. Hmm, that's very interesting. So, could you give us an example of one yeah. such adjacency? I'll, let me talk you through an example. So, today we as a company sell routers and switches. And for those who are not very familiar with what we do, if you're ever sending an email or watching a video on YouTube or your favorite web property, chances are that whatever you're looking at or whatever you're listening to has traversed at least one of the boxes which we have built. Most of internet is powered by systems which we are some of our competitors build. 
some of the original systems which we built were very focused on just the routing side. We are trying to add adjacencies such as the optical layer which is below or the management layer on the top. So those mm-hmm. are the examples of adjacencies which we are trying to incorporate within our systems. Hmm. Interesting. So for example, if you were to sell burgers as part of your company, right? What would be some adjacencies in there? Let's take the burger example, right? I mean, if somebody is building a restaurant, if you're selling burgers, the most logical adjacencies are, I call fries and say a Coke. And they look very differently. They feel different. But if you're hungry, you want to have something to eat, something to munch on the side and something to drink. Mm-hmm. The same thing goes with us as products. Our core products are, say, routers or switches. To secure it, we typically expand into something called security. Mm-hmm. To manage them, we expand into management. Mm-hmm. To essentially make the traversal of the data much better, we essentially add an optical layer. And more often than not, to integrate our products with other adjacent products, we also add professional services, which is a very different, a very, very distinct capability. But we try to package all of them together. So that's, that's the way to think through so that we now go holistically solve what a customer needs rather than just giving them point solutions. Yeah, so it sounds like it's really a, a full solution or, or sort of a suite of products in order to be able to address almost any customer problem that the folks you are typically working with will experience. Oh, absolutely. That's correct. Very interesting. So how do you, as a VP of new products or, or VP of business incubation, how do you figure out which entrepreneurs you're going to work with or are you sourcing these folks internally? In several cases, what happens is that if we try to source teams completely internally, it does not work. At the same time, if we try to pick a team which is completely on the outside, more often than not, that does not work either. In most cases, what we do is we try to find a combination of engineers or product managers or business people internally and externally. And uh, most of the incubation process is synthesizing these ideas in a way where it's a combination of inside and outside people brought together. And I think the secret sauce for us is in getting this formula right. I don't think there's a singular formula. A lot of it depends on what is the net new business we are building and the combination of who do we pick internally and who do we pick externally is something which we think through very carefully. That's really interesting. As companies start to think about what are ways in which to be able to grow rapidly, what would you say are some of the most common paths that companies are taking? So there are two distinct things companies do. One is, I mean, if you go back to our burger example, the growth would be if you have a burger, I'm going to look for the fries and the drinks. Mm -hmm. So So the adjacencies. The the adjacencies. The other one is what I call a CBF, which is cheaper, better, and faster, Mm -hmm. which is if I have a product, can I make it cheaper, better, and faster? And more often than not, what it means is that if I make it cheaper, I can go address a market where the willingness to pay is different. And at times, we actually go bigger so that we can go now go sell the product to customers who need something which has substantially different capabilities and requirements. So there is expansion into adjacent markets, largely because now we have made the products bigger, faster, or cheaper, or the other cases where we have reimagined the product to solve an adjacent use case. So mm-hmm. I think so those, those are the two distinct approaches we take. Super interesting. 
So how are you picking these entrepreneurs and residents? Because I imagine a lot of times what I see in my work as a corporate innovation consultant is that for a lot of the corporations that are trying to do innovation, it's hard to just take someone internally who's been at your company for 15 years and is really used to a very comfortable corporate lifestyle where they don't necessarily want to do that crazy hard work. So how are you actually finding these people to lead these teams who are doing this sort of incubation? Honestly, that has been our secret sauce. <laughs> and let, let, me, let me share a bit of it and maybe let the cat out of the bag. What we realized is that if we try to find somebody who has a very cozy corporate life, trying to have <laughs> them become an entrepreneur tends to be harder because it tends to be somewhat out of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, trying to find somebody who's just been a startup entrepreneur who's never built a business, trying to work in a complex corporate ecosystem where it's a lot more nuanced. The interactions tend to be a lot more complex. It's not easy either. The mantra which has worked for us really well is finding startup founders are people who have built businesses as startups, but the startups have failed for some some reason. I mean, it could be that the, the funding fell through or in some cases, they just did not get the right scale. Finding such startup entrepreneurs who want to still have the stability of a large company, the brand awareness and the brand capability of a large company, but who are also capable of navigating through the larger startups. Uh, The number of such entrepreneurs is very small. And most of my or most of my team's competency is in identifying such entrepreneurs and shaping them or essentially shaping the early, the, I call the teams the right way. And I would argue that that is the single biggest element that defines the success or failures of these incubations. It is the people selection of the first five to six people that that constitutes the core of uh, the incubation team. Yeah, definitely. I, I can imagine that it's always the personnel piece that's really hard to figure out, right? You have to have the right expertise. You have to have the right spirit. You have to have the right amount of experience while also being very hungry. Absolutely. I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head of the problem. And I think that that's, that's a place where we've been very deliberate, very thoughtful, mm-hmm. and we've been very focused on picking the right entrepreneurs. And it's also a shaping process. Um, the first nine to 12 months of really shaping a team so that there is both a sense of urgency in building the product, understanding mm-hmm. the customer needs and trying to go to a product market fit, mm-hmm. while at the same time not trying to completely be disruptive to the existing company. A fair, the, the other element which we have done very well is mm-hmm. essentially firewalling some of these startup efforts with the core organization. Hmm, we try to leverage we try to leverage several aspects of the ex- existing company mm-hmm. but at the same time if we try to go do everything the way the current company processes work and both the socialization and the processes are the ones that essentially impede startups from innovating at pace mm-hmm. so the fine balance which we have is in having a clarity on things which we are not going to do per the current company processes mm-hmm. and those which we are going to rely on the existing resources. I think finding the right balance is the second, you know, second critical piece which is required. The build and go-to-market process is somewhat similar to what startups do, where we very rapidly innovate and incubate the products. We do very, very fast turnarounds on how 
product development cycles mm-hmm. and do a very quick product market fits. And the advantage we have is that we, we have a large number of customers we can validate these products with, as well as the feedback cycles tend to be much faster compared to even some startups. Yeah, that's fascinating. So help me imagine what that looks like. So are you taking these five new team members who are going to incubate this new product and are they sitting in like a separate space in the office? Are they in a different building or are they based in one of the like co-working spaces just working on their own and then working with you guys when they need help? Like what does the collaboration and coordination how, look how, like? How does it play out? Yeah. So I think we've tried a few experiments or, or rather we've had a couple of different models. I can share at least three distinct models that were tried. And some of them were just an artifact of how the teams played out. Hmm. The early part of incubation or early part of, I call the startup or new business creation process, mm-hmm. tends to be fairly complex and messy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just the nature of the game. Yep. Uh, in one case, we found a team, a brilliant very competent, very customer-friendly, as well as very evangelical uh, Mm -hmm. set of people. They wanted to have the experience of building the team as an independent company. Mm -hmm. We invested in this company along with one of the top-tier VCs. Mm -hmm. The core team was built outside as an independent company. Mm -hmm. They assembled some early part of the product. They built the early part of the product and assembled the, I would say, a fairly competent and complete team. And once the team was built and the early product was prototyped, we acquired the company and mm-hmm. we essentially left them alone for almost three years. Wow. So it's, it's not something which which is, uh, I mean, given the fact that we sell to large enterprise customers, it does take a fair amount of time for us to build out the feature capabilities in certain, mm-hmm. in, for certain class of products. In a second instance, I I did hire the core team, Mm -hmm. and we have the team working within the company. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, they sit in cubes, and the cubes they sit in are the kind of systems they have an access to is very similar to what the rest of the company does. Mm -hmm. The product is leveraging a fair amount of the existing product lines, and Mm -hmm. that's the reason why we tend to build this team as almost like an integrated team. Yeah. And the advantage are at least the freedom which we provided this team was mm-hmm. that they did not necessarily have to deal with a very long detailed set of processes which are associated with existing products mm. but what we did was we did message and we did work with the class of customers who are comfortable with dealing with a fast moving not fully completely adherent to what i call as our existing processes sure. and our existing ways of developing product, but it was something which was innovatively interesting. Yeah, folks that are sort yeah. of at the very front of exactly. the technology adoption yeah. curve, right? So I call them the lead customers or the customers who are mm-hmm. actually very innovation-friendly. Yeah. And some of, some of the customers are not necessarily at the very front end of innovation. Yeah. It just is that the customer culture is they're very accepting to innovation. Sure. So it's a slightly different customer culture. Yeah. And we work with those customers. We set an expectation that these products are going to be developed differently, delivered differently. Mm-hmm. The monetization is going to play out a bit differently. And they were as excited because the innovation was in their culture. Mm-hmm. And we were able to build something which would have normally taken three to four times as long with probably a team which is five to six, ten yeah. x bigger. But we were able to squeeze both time and dollars to actually build something nice and interesting. So, and I think the summary would be that these are all experiments of one. 
Yeah. The right model of how we build an incubation team mm -hmm. depends on what product or what business are we building? Yeah. How closely does it get tied to what we already have? Yeah. And who are the customers? Mm -hmm. And what are the changes related to what is existing? Yeah. So, so it's, it's kind of a combination of several things. Yeah. And what was the third model? The, th the third model was we did invest in a startup. And this is the more interesting case where we did an investment. We also wrote some NRA dollars so that the startup would customize the product mm -hmm. much more closely to what we wanted to. Mm -hmm. Once the startup was able to prove that they were able to pivot their existing product line to what we wanted it to look like, mm -hmm. then we acquired the company and then mm -hmm. we actually used that company as the basis for this brand new product line. Hmm. Fascinating. So one of the interesting things that comes up as we're talking about this is thinking about the intellectual property, right? How do you figure out who owns the IP? Is it the team that's building it or is it the company that's funding it or do you split it equally? How does the IP end up working out? It's a, it's a fairly complex question. Yeah. In most cases, we, we are very careful with IP ownership. Mm -hmm. I don't think there is a one-size-fits-all answer to mm -hmm. what we do. Let me walk you through in a few examples. In the first case where it was an independent startup, the startup owned the IP. Mm -hmm. As we acquired the startup, we essentially owned the IP along with the assets of the company. Mm -hmm. Even in the third case, again, where we did a partnership with a startup, the startup owned a fair amount of IP. Mm -hmm. We, When we acquired the startup again, we owned the IP. And in the middle case, since the team is essentially within my organization, yeah. the company owns the IP. Mm -hmm. The third piece are the complex places are the ones where we are trying to do partnership and how the IP plays out. Mm -hmm. And we do spend a fair amount of time trying to be sure that the IP contamination does not happen at yeah. the same time those who are creating IP essentially own the IP. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's definitely something which you have flagged, which is very important for companies to think through mm -hmm. before they embark on this journey. I've seen more deals mm -hmm. from our competitors mm -hmm. fall apart just because they, couldn't, they did not necessarily think the IP through the right way. Yeah, mm -hmm. very interesting. I'm sure we could keep talking forever. Yes, absolutely. But in the interest of time, my last question is, what advice do you have for companies that are starting to think about an incubation practice? What should be the first couple of steps that they should take? Yeah, I would say start with the context. What are you trying to really solve? Mm -hmm. There are companies that want to build a culture of innovation where they want people to think outside the box or they want to think innovatively. Mm -hmm. There's a second case where companies have a large number of products and businesses and business practices and processes. Mm -hmm. They want some incremental advantages in those. And there's a final case where it is about building adjacent businesses or net new businesses. Mm -hmm. Having a clarity around which or what kind of problems is a company trying to solve through an incubation process. Having a clarity of what it is. And equally important is what kind of outcomes you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Having a clarity in both is very critical. I have seen more companies that have run with a white paper contest or incubation contest while trying to go figure out how to go build an adjacent large business. Sure. Not an easy thing to do. Yeah. If you want to go build a large adjacent business, the, prob the business which company wants to build is more often than not well understood or at hmm. least reasonably well understood. Yeah. There, the exercise in is in building the right team, mm -hmm. validating the product, defining the product, Figuring out what are the processes that are required to go build this net new businesses right is mm -hmm. the critical thing. Mm -hmm. 
Whereas if the intent is just to bring in new energy in the company or mm-hmm. bring in a culture of innovation, mm-hmm. then trying to establish a set of processes with yeah. that intent is critical. So I think it all starts with what what is the final outcome you're looking at? Yeah, hmm. that's, a, that's a great note to mm-hmm. end on. It really sounds like it's something where we need to start with the end in mind, right? Absolutely. What are the results that we're looking for and what is it that we're really prioritizing? Because as we think about incremental innovation versus transformational innovation, mm-hmm. a lot of these questions become very important. It's are you trying to find a, a little bump in revenue for the next couple of years or are you trying to build the next biggest thing in artificial intelligence or, or whatever it is that the cutting edge technology is at any given time? Absolutely. And I think one thing which I would, you know, one of the parting words would be more often than not, especially in the tech industry, mm-hmm. we have to be willing to cannibalize our own businesses yeah. to survive. And doing internal incubations with that intent is something which more companies need to start thinking it through now because mm-hmm. if you don't, you, you've not exist. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much, Jared. This was fantastic. Thanks, Rihanna. It's my, it's my pleasure and delight to be here. Thank you. To all of our listeners, thanks again for listening to Venture Vignettes, a podcast dedicated to interviews with tech leaders at the forefront of innovation. For questions, comments, or requests, you can always reach me at rihanna at kzsu.stanford.edu. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and definitely leave us a review on iTunes. I'm Rihanna Shah, signing off until next time. <laughs>